0: Bill S-6, a new election act, his talk is titled First Nations Election Act,
1: Will Democracy Be Better Served? Mike's a member of the Kainai First Nation and is a graduate of the University of Lethbridge. And uh, Knute asked me to announce that the annual general meeting is on the 21st of June and that day, paid-up members will get a free lunch so if you vote and buy your annual membership now, it will reduce the cost of it substantially to get that free lunch. Now, I know that uh, Tim planted a tremendous number of questions, so I think we should get going on that right away. I'll ask Tim to come back to the podium, and the, uh, the microphone for you newcomers is over here by this entrance. Please uh, state your name. We're recording this for posterity as well. And uh, keep your comments free, and the number of your questions down to one or two. Keep them short and succinct. And uh, no questions from the floor, please, because, as I said, we're recording this. Uh, So if someone is sufficiently well-fed to come up to the mic and uh, start the questioning, I sure appreciate that. And Tim is here, ready to go. Hello, Tim. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Wonderful. My name is Greg Ranger. Uh, in your discussion, I know that you didn't have the chance to address all the things that affect the climate, but um, uh, specifically regarding ocean currents and uh, the way they affect uh, the climate in certain parts of the world, uh, and specifically, um, did you see any or feel that there was any climate change involved? with the recent oil still in the Gulf of Mexico where they use all the CREXIC to uh, uh, fix the oil and uh, hence change the salinity and the flow of the
2: uh, Atlantic current. Yeah, good question. Um, first of all, there are two levels of, of ocean current you have to consider. There's the surface currents, which are wind blown, and then there's what's called the deep ocean currents where the cold water sinks at the, at the poles and rises at the equator. So you've got this going on it's almost like that old Patrick Spi come up your head thing. Um, the surface wind patterns are changing all the time. The argument was made that um, because of the Gulf oil spill that it would shut down the flow of the Gulf Stream and therefore cause dramatic problems in, in Northern Europe. Um, that simply didn't happen. It simply didn't happen. there was uh, I was on radio two or three times about this. And again, it was one of those speculations about, oh, well, it's going to change the surface of the water and the oil, and it will change the rates of the evaporation and the temperature and everything else. None of that happened. And uh, so, um, what does that mean that the oil spill wasn't a problem? No, absolutely not. But what happens is that the minute an event occurs, there are all sorts of people out there with speculations about what could happen. And one of the things that I urge people to, to do is when you read the headline, the headline invariably is Active voice, Scientist for dead. But when you read the actual story, it's all of the conditional words. It could, it may, and so on. And that idea about the Gulf Stream shutting down played on an earlier argument which is called the Thermohaline Circulation. And, and Professor Wench, um, who was on the IPCC and then resigned, he showed that that simply was not um, an accurate uh, representation. And, of course, as I say, the Gulf Stream is very nicely. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Um, my name is Stephanie Watson, and
3: I just had a couple of questions about your
2: presentation. Um, some of the words you used were, like, cherry picking data and the books and stuff like that. Um, I'm just curious that you used this, imp- this type of wording. And yet, in your presentation, I didn't see any references for the graphs and stuff that supported your argument. I was wondering if I could get that information so I could go look at the data, because it's not uh, in line with a lot of the data that I currently have. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I have, on most of the slides, I have the sources there, but you're talking specifically about the uh, references to the Intergovernmental General Climate Change. On no, Earth? I have all of that science information. I'm talking about the ones that you're using to contend against us. So, okay. like uh, you had, as for example, like you said, the satellite weather data is not good enough. Yeah, your original graph is all satellite data based, but you didn't specify where you got that data. So I was just wondering. If <coughs> if yeah. that. no, that's a good question. So the original graph showed you the University of of, uh, of Alabama at Huntsville, their temperature estimate compared against the surface temperature data from the CRU. But I'll provide you with all of that information. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you.
4: Uh, John Nightingale Um, I don't want to get into the global warming conspiracy theory or talk about the John F. Kennedy assassination but I do want to uh, mention a few salient points concerning carbon dioxide which you asked at the very beginning why focus on carbon dioxide well I put it to you Sarah that there are two pretty good reasons number one, carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas and the reason I say that is that they've done multiple Um, profiles of uh, the various isotopes of carbon dioxide, carbon-14, carbon-13, and carbon-12. And there is no question that the current increases in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere consists with a disproportionate number of carbon-12, which, from a scientific perspective, shows that this is due to the burning of fossil fuels. The other part of the carbon dioxide global warming equation is that carbon dioxide in the atmosphere absorbs long range radiation. It allows short wave radiation from the sun to pass unhindered. That is then converted into long-range, which is absorbed in the atmosphere and reflected back to Earth. So you asked in the beginning, is why focus on carbon dioxide? Well, it's very simple, sir, in my opinion. That is the only known man-made contribution to global warming. Natural cycles occur all the time. As you said, there's orbital uh, variations that can cause it ice core samples, I would refute what you said about the Vostok core samples, there is a correlation between carbon dioxide and temperature, albeit a few hundred years after the starting of the increasing in temperatures, and various other data around the world, in my opinion, supports it. One more thing, there was something called the Paleocene-Eocene the Thermal Maximum, The data suggests that the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere contributed completely toward these increasing cycles, and that was 55 million years ago. I could go on, but I'll let
2: other people make comments. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, The the question about the role of CO2 as a greenhouse gas is very much in debate. Um, they changed it to talking about climate sensitivity and even the Intergovernmental on Climate Change agree that even if CO2 doubled or tripled, the temperature can only rise by a certain amount. Um, they have reduced the uh, climate sensitivity, that is the atmospheric reaction to CO2 increase, and it is now approaching zero. I was part of a group of physicists, and we published a book called Slaying the Dragon. The physicists started to look at what the, the climate people had done with CO2 as a greenhouse gas, and completely refute it, and uh, in fact there's a debate going on amongst the skeptics now about whether CO2 is a greenhouse gas at all. And um, it is uh, it is a cooling agent, if anything, certainly not a warming agent. So, and your arguments about the, uh, the isotopes with regard to carbon dioxide, I suggest you read uh, Norm Kalmanovich's uh, comments about that in the Friends of Science website, where he has shown after 20 years of research that you simply cannot separate out human production of CO2 from natural sources of CO2. Yes, sir.
3: Mr. Ball, you prefaced your speech. Oh, My name is Frank oh. Cobb. Right. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank normally, you. I'm, I'm the last questioner at you these meeting. The but you prefaced your speech by mentioning the prince's president. Times on Earth. The University of Calgary, we just received 27 million dollars a few months ago all these people have donated Harper just gave this university 27 million dollars donation for adhering and and proposing your theory okay Uh, I don't think that's what Nuss said secondly of course we know that his daddy is a VIP of Imperial Oil and he's protecting his production and his daddy's Black eye, we have black eyes around the world with, with this stand on the environment like yours. I uh, have one question. Where in the hell would I send my kids to school in university with, with the world opinion on the environment? Where could I send them uh, with, with your
2: thesis on the
3: environment? Thank
2: you. Oh, that's a very very good question. I, I happen to think we should close 50% of the universities right now. And, and uh, I would open far more community colleges because the um, university for a kid that's getting a C average is a socially acceptable form of unemployment but it, and, and I can say that having studied having studied education and attendees at university how many of you in this room know that the first dropout and failure rate in first year university you have is 47 percent all they do is count the numbers going in they never t- tell you about the numbers going out and so um, I... And the other side of it, I would argue, go and look at the results of homeschooling. More and more parents going to homeschooling. You know, education has become indoctrination, not education. And uh, so um, I, I certainly have I've worked a lot with the homeschoolers as you, and, look, and what they're doing. Uh, on average, their students perform, and they have to meet provincial requirements, on average, they perform three to four grades higher than those coming from the public school system. So I think that we have got we need a lot of examination of what we're teaching, how it's being taught, and what's going on in our school systems.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, my name is Tom Kane, and I'm a volunteer. I'm not a scientist, so I can't debate you scientifically. I don't want to debate you anyway, because you'd likely put me into conspiracy theory. But um, I'm a volunteer with Green Sense, a local group promoting renewable energy because we think fossil fuels are running out and there's an awful lot of pollution So my question is going to come to you about what should we be doing about some of that pollution and renewable energy. I would like to know if you've watched the documentary entitled Earth, the Operator's Manual, narrated by a fine scientist, uh, Richard Alley, from Penn State University. I watched that this morning. It's 55 minutes. And um, I wish the debate of this SACPO was more of a debate, to have you speak on such a complex topic in short period of time is really difficult. So I'm offering the people who are here today uh, an opportunity to see that movie the um, on Monday night, June 11th. So I would like to know, uh, that will be at the Lethbridge Public Library. End of the commercial. Do you agree with Richard Alley that fossil fuels are running out? And whether they're running out because of uh, and our use of climate change and global warming science, that doesn't matter too much to me. I'm wondering what should we do about some of the pollution. Would you follow the lead of the U.S. military? You said you had a connection to the military. The U.S. military is saving a lot of money by going to renewable energy and they will eventually teach the rest of us how to do some of the things they've done in the military. And that's in the movie. And the mayor of Houston, I always thought that gee, on a hot place like that in the middle of all the oil money could you ever promote renewable energy? The mayor of Houston is already producing 30% of their energy by wind power, even though they've got all the oil and all the other things. And their, their goal is in 20 years to have it 50%. And they do an awful lot of air conditioning in Houston. Um, there's quite a few questions embedded in there already. And uh, I'll tie there. them up into one question then. Have you read the, have you seen the Earth, the Operator's Manual? And would you agree with Richard Ollie
2: that it's time to really get on with some renewable energy? I have seen the movie, and I don't agree. I think you've already got examples around the world of countries that have attempted to go to renewable energy. and It's been a disaster. In Spain, they uh, spent $700,000 per job to go to green jobs. For every green, or going to alternate energy for every green job they created in alternate energy, they lost two other jobs. The economy of Spain is an absolute disaster. Countries like Denmark that were using wind power Very large amounts of wind power have reduced and limited it to 12%. Germany has announced they're getting out of wind power. It doesn't work. And not only that, but Greenpeace in Germany have said that it's killing 35 million birds a year. There's a wind power turbine down in in, uh, California that kills 800 raptors a year. That's golden eagles, condors, and other things. And what people don't realize is that for wind power, you have to have... 100% backup, that is spinning generation, is running constantly. So the amount of CO2 reduction is zero. So, no, sir, I do not agree with that. And I don't agree with all of the alternate energies. Uh, For all of them, you have to have storage of electricity. It is not a 24-hour supply. And uh, if, if you want to really solve some problems, spend some money finding a way of storing electricity on a very large scale, cheaply. Then, because that's the common denominator of the energy source that you use. So, no, I don't buy the alternate energies thing at all. And I, I suggest to you, by the way, go look what the European Union have just announced—they've withdrawn all funding support for alternate energies.
1: Thank you for your talk, Carol Beswick, um, asking the question here. Uh, my original question was. Um, are you familiar with the work of Ian Plymer from Australia? Um, is this, um, I'm getting the book next week, the newest one. Uh, will I be happy reading that as a critical assessment?
2: I never predict a woman's happiness. Oh, okay. <laughs> very easy to please. <laughs> and, and that was a comment from somebody who's been married 50 years, by the way. And, and somebody said, what's it like? And I said, I didn't think I could live with myself that long. That something like that. But, no, Glimmer's book is a very, very good book. I, I thoroughly recommend it to you. It raises a lot of very good questions. There was another person in, a, in Alberta just yesterday, uh, Bob Carter, who's another Australian or New Zealander, and he's touring around. He, he was on the Michael Corn program recently. Wow. Uh, yeah, there's some very good books out there, but uh, if I can slip in with your question, um, the previous gentleman talked about uh, debate. One of the things that we, all we've ever asked is for is an open debate. We, Sixty of us wrote a letter to Harper and uh, all the government saying, "Well, all we want is a debate. And the only time that the other side of the issue has is ever been allowed to appear in Ottawa was recently through the good graces of Nancy Green we the Liski her as a senator, she arranged for four uh, so-called skeptic scientists to appear before uh, a Senate committee but um, no it it has, it has not been an, an even debate member will give you a very good exposition of the other side of a very readable book yes thank you a we'll follow-up on uh, another topic here uh, do
1: you happen to have any idea how much tax Subsidized money
2: goes into each windmill i don't I don't know but it's a very very large amount as I said when you look around the world there's a lot of information um, I work with mark uh, duchamp who who's a leader of a, of a world anti windmill uh, campaign and uh, the statistics are really quite quite frightening very very bad and, but uh, the uh, as I said, the problem with them is, first of all, you have got to have the wind blowing. It's got to be blowing at a certain speed. The number of windmills you can have in in, in order to ma- to equal a thousand megawatt coal burning plant, you need to have about uh, uh, over a thousand square kilometers of windmills. And it's really a, it really is a disaster.
5: Just a quick question. My name is Douglas Mitchell. I'm a retired government scientist, and I strongly resent your implication that uh, many of the scientists in this field are producing results, which are not in agreement, perhaps, with how you feel. At the same time, I think you're imputing some of the best minds who are very definitely pure scientists. In other words, they want their findings to be authenticated be subject to peer review. And although there may be in some corners, and Thomas uh, suggested the concerns about grants to the University of Calgary, but for goodness sake, don't lump the majority of the universities around the world, many of whom I've had contact with, and their are scientists in that category.
2: Uh, and thank you for your comments, sir. Um, Morris Strong set up the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change through the World Meteorological Organization, and the first meeting of that was chaired by an assistant deputy minister of Environment Canada. I've given talks where employees in Environment Canada have come to me and said, we agree with you, but we're afraid to say anything. And uh, this, this is part of the problem. I think when you have things in the control of the bureaucracy, and Strong knew that when he set it up through the WMO, Because the politicians that have dared to go to Environment Canada and say, hey, we got some questions about that, what they get is, oh, we're the experts, we're the scientists, how dare you question us? And I think it's a very unhealthy situation. It's uh, the bureaucracy, the rule of of, uh, of nobody uh, dictating things. And I say Strong knew that when he set it up. But um, the other side about impugning a group, I'm beginning to realize that, uh, you know, it's that old politically incorrect idea about generalization. Uh, one of the things I've realized is that unless some people within the group who see things going wrong speak up, the majority will stay silent. And I sympathize with that. Yeah, they've got a mortgage, they've got kids, they want a paycheck, and so on. But uh, it's not for nothing that we've had to introduce whistleblower laws. Why would you need a whistleblower law if you've got free speech and a free democracy and an openness? People are afraid to speak out. I think we need to re-examine our, our whole view of things. And so I think that if you are in a group and you see something wrong and you are silent about it, then you're as guilty as the people that are doing the wrong.
6: My name is Thomas Jericho. Uh, Mr. Ball, uh, I uh, recently uh, made the calculation or the the, the view of how how much fossil fuel we as a global community are actually using, and I learned that we use um, 20 billion tons of coal every day and 88 million barrels of oil every day. And we have been doing this for quite some time, and it's going up. Uh, the point is that we've been doing this probably for the last hundred years and so on, um, and uh, the uh, pollution and the gases, you know, the, many of them, not only CO2, are accumulating, and that's the important point, they're accumulating in the atmosphere. Now, given these, I think, well, I'm convinced these are facts which I just uh, uh, repeated, um, let's assume that uh, Mr. Tim Ball is the king of the global kingdom. Let's assume that.
2: I thought you liked me.
6: <laughs> uh, my question to you is, what would you do uh, with respect to uh, fossil fuel use by the human community uh, in the interest of the common good?
2: Yeah, okay. First, first of all, uh, there was the earlier argument about we're running out of fossil fuel, uh, that ironically, and this proves that politics makes the old strange bedfellows, there were two groups promoting that. One was, of course, the, um, the uh, green the environmentalists saying, well, we, we should switch off a of bit because we're running out anyway. Um, and that's a sort of precautionary cautionary principle. The other were the oil companies because they could then say, hey, we're running short, we're getting more money so we can push the price up. And as you know, um, the reserves uh, of oil, world oil, and discovery of oil have increased dramatically. There's far more oil. I don't know how many in this room know that the whole Falklands crisis was triggered by oil. Margaret Thatcher's uh, husband was the president of an oil company. There's currently a cons- consortium of three oil companies from Argentina, Britain, and, uh, and the U.S. that are drilling for oil from the Falklands right down to South Georgia. So uh, the argument about running short... Now the second argument, of course, is the confusion between uh, CO2 as a natural atmospheric gas, and important, critical to plant life, critical. In fact, you, there's been studies show that the two bushel an acre increase in wheat on the prairies is due to increase of CO2 in the atmosphere and pollution. It's been put about that CO2 is a pollutant. It isn't. Does that mean that when you burn coal that you don't produce pollutants? No. But the ability to burn coal, absolutely clean. The technology has been around for 60 years. There's a plant on the campus of William & Mary University. The students don't even know it's a coal-burning plant. Why hasn't it been implemented? Because to do it would double the cost of the electricity. And, of course, that's what Obama said. I'm going to put the coal business out because I'm going to put on such regulations that it'll, it'll, it won't be able to sustain it. So you must, in your mind, separate the CO2 issue from coal burning and the pollution issue. Did I say today, have I ever said that pollution wasn't a problem? The answer is no. Pollution is a problem. We've reduced the levels of pollution. But let me illustrate in the Canadian context. I talked about Environment Canada spending $6.3 billion of Environment Canada money on climate change. In that same time, they didn't even achieve their own levels of reduction of pollution, particularly in southern Ontario, because they put the money in the wrong place. So I think that we need to clear some things in our minds and get our definitions uh, uh, correct about what's actually happening. Um, if um, I, I wouldn't want a kingdom. I, I like the Republican system in the U.S. much better, but um, it... it the things that that, that are happening whether you like it or not is we're switching to natural gas for our vehicles there's far more of it it burns much more cheaply we're switching to nuclear power and uh, clean burning coal for our electricity and oil will continue in the petrochemical industry um, uh, for the foreseeable future that's where we're headed, that's the trends and uh, as I said what we need to do then is to look at what pollutants are going to come out of that and how do we deal with them? And, and I suggest that you go and look, and even with environment Canada's very lousy record, Canada's reduced pollution levels in virtually every single field and in every region. And um, I know that growing up in England with the coal and the smoke in London and the people that died in the smog. If you go around and look around the world, uh, is that, does that mean that we can't do better? No. Does that mean that we, we've got to keep working on it? Absolutely. But I think that what we need to do is get rid of some of the old saws that are put out there to scare you, to, to get you thinking, Hold oh, no, on, what we're telling you is right, because uh, if you don't, the sky will fall. We need to calm down. We need to look at things objectively. And governments have not done that. Whether it's the Kretchen government or the, whoever it is, they simply have not allowed debate and full discussion of these issues
6: so I gather, King Wall, you, uh, you would uh, recommend less consumption and, uh, cre- and cleaning up the pollution effects.
2: No, I think the first thing I do is have you executed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I uh, think we have time for one more question and if uh, nobody comes to ask it then I would ask oh, I guess I just lost my opportunity
6: <laughs> Hey, um, I'm
2: Susie Heinrichs and I was wondering how is the overpopulation of the earth and climate change related or like the global warming? yeah As I mentioned in my talk, the theme of the Club of Rome was that the world was overpopulated, and that unless we start limiting population and so on, and there's been some horrendous things done in the world on the basis of that. And you go look at China, that fellow that just escaped from China. uh, He was protesting against the policies of one child per family. And I talked to a lot of Chinese, um, and it's creating huge difficulties for them the imbalance of men and women in that society in terms of going forward. Um, But uh, the population of the world has increased significantly. There's no question about that. The primary reason was the ability to increase increase food production. And um, one of the things people forget is in Europe and England in particular, there was an agricultural revolution before there was an industrial revolution. Surplus food is surplus time, and and people can do more things and agriculture is the key to everything as I keep pointing out and I said it here in in Andy Lethbridge many years ago that that there are no farms in the cities but there are no cities without farms and so the explosion nowhere was that done more effectively than in the US where where what happened in the US was uh, they uh, started producing food uh, where 98% of the people were being fed by 2% of their farmers that's the same way it is today The the difficulty is, or at least not the difficulty, but the way to deal with the overpopulation problem is already seen. It was first identified in Sweden. As your economy improves and people have security and pensions, then they stop worrying about passing on to their children and so on. The birth rate goes down precipitously. People are living longer initially, the population soars, but then gradually the population starts to decline. If you want to see that, go and look at Japan, go and look at Italy, and these countries, uh, Italy, for example, um, they're, they're not going to be able to do it now in the state of their economy, but that's a different issue, but Italy, we're paying uh, people to, uh, to have a third child. It's happening in Quebec. Some countries are offsetting this decline in population by immigration. The U.S. is doing it, and that's fine, but it doesn't solve the ultimate problem. You're just patching over the problem. And uh, it, China, Japan, for example, the, the population pyramid that's normally like this with a, a large, su- young people supporting, is upside down. I don't know how they're going to be able to sustain what they're doing, because the Japanese do not allow immigration. They, they, they've uh, blocked immigration. So if, if you allow development and economic development, that deals with the population problem. And the words I suggest you want to... I don't like Google anymore, I'm going to big, but... Uh, the the, uh, demographic transition that's two words you want to look up and it will explain what happens with development because people had large families because a lot of the children died and they also needed those children as their pension plan when they got old that changes once you develop the economy well
0: that
1: was a very good question I think it's a good place to stop And uh, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Ball very much for his presentation.
2: Uh, My final word is a stay of execution.
1: (laughs) Uh, In addition to thanking uh, Dr. Ball, we need to thank Friends of Science. They uh, helped us bring... They helped us bring uh, Dr. Ball from Victoria. And uh, Friends of Science uh, bills their their organization as providing insight into climate change. And uh, in addition to Dr. Ball's talk, they have provided some information out on the table there. I hope there's still some left there. Uh, Furthermore, uh, they have a DVD available to some of you who might be really interested in uh, Friends of Science, and if you want to come see Len Mayer, that would, uh, he, he can probably provide some of you with that. So, uh, thanks very much everyone for attending, thanks very much for your questions, an exhausting session. Bye.